They asked me to talk about we will be. And so this evening, we're going to talk about the end. We're going to talk about eschatology. There was a famous Princeton theologian of another, another generation, Gerhardus Voss. And as he read the Bible, he saw there was confusion and contradiction about the idea of the kingdom of God. And as he studied, he came up with what we've all quoted at one time or another. There is the already and there is the not yet. I'm a cynical old preacher. And I've stood before so many deathbeds and I've cleaned up after so many suicides. And I've tasted the salt of so many tears that sometimes in my cynicism, my fear isn't the already or the not yet, but the not ever. In 1652, Oliver Cromwell had become the head of everything that was happening in England. And he started well, but as he got power, it corrupted him. And, uh, and the power made him a tyrant. John Owen, one of our guys, who loved Christ and had hoped for so much more, wrote this, and it's filled with pathos. Listen to what he wrote. Now those that ponder these things, their spirits are grieved in the midst of their bodies. The visions in their heads trouble them. They look for other things, but the summer is ended and the harvest is past and we are not refreshed. I don't know if you read, but the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, greatest show on earth, is closing. That's sad. When I was growing up, every year we went to the circus. And I and everybody else I knew dreamed of running away with the circus. Years later, I became a pastor, and it's the same thing. <laughs> And years later, uh, because I had some friends that I loved a lot, she was a trapeze artist in a traveling circus, and he managed all of the animals in the circus. She was a Christian, and he wasn't, and I talked to him a long time as they traveled all over the country telling him about Jesus and God's grace. And finally, he, like a child, came running and that meant that they were going to get married. And they asked if I would perform the ceremony when the circus got close to where my church was. <laughs> and, oh, man, what an opportunity. I said, of course. The next day, I got a call from a member of the band, a guy who, who wanted to know the color of the bridesmaids' dresses so his would match. <laughs> And I thought, this is going to be different. <laughs> and I remember standing in the center, and they had a processional, 
and a recessional on an elephant. Those are big mothers. And when you're standing in the center ring of a circus and an elephant's coming at you, you're praying, Lord, I didn't sign on for this. This isn't what I'm in. But they were married and they were happy. I learned a lot that day. And one of the main things I learned is what happens when the lights are turned down and the music stops. You know those women who are so beautiful with the dresses that sparkle? And you know the men who are so young and handsome in the circus? When the lights are turned down and the music stops, the women aren't beautiful, they're just tired. And the men aren't handsome. They're living in despair, trying to earn enough to keep body and soul together. The greatest show on earth is not the greatest show on earth. There's a sense in which we, in which we're kind of in a circus, aren't we? The band plays, the music is loud, the women are beautiful. The guys are hot, and the promises proceed over and over again. But then somebody turns the lights down, and we're not refreshed. The promises don't deliver. We've heard the crying in the night. We've seen the abuse and the emptiness and the despair, and the sin, and the darkness. It would, it would overwhelm a Christian if it weren't for 1 John, the third chapter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's an old story in a country airport when two planes were coming in. And from the tower, the instructions were given for landing. One pilot was told to land from the north on the only runway in that particular airport. And three minutes later, the other pilot was given instructions to land from the south on the only runway in that airport. And the first pilot radioed the tower and said, now wait just a second, you just told us to land on the same runway going at each other. Dead silence from the Bubba in the tower. And he said, 
Oh, well, y'all be careful out there. <laughs> you know, we haven't said much about us and them. This is the place where I'd like to stay. <laughs> this has been so good. There's been so much love. I've felt like I can do this thing. But tomorrow, we go back into the real world. As some of the questions this afternoon reflected, it's a world where they don't like us very much. A lusty, materialistic paganism. Anger and hatred and division. Moral depravity. Darkness, fear, loneliness, abuse. And that's where we're going. You remember in Luke 9, when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter and James and John and you remember on the top of that mountain, wouldn't you like to have been there? Moses and Elijah came. There was a cloud, and the glory was everywhere. And Peter didn't know what to say, so he said it. <laughs> he said, Lord, it's good that we are here. Why don't we build three tents, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses? In other words, he was saying, it's good we're here and we don't want to go there. But they did. Back into the valley, you know what happened? They encountered pure evil. I want to say, Satan, you leave the children alone a demon-possessed little boy. And then right after that, the disciples got in an argument about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then right after they, that, they went to Samaria and they were rejected. Evil, division, hatred. Guys, we're, don't let anybody kid you. The fall's not a joke. They really don't like us. It really is so sad. I used to say millions of people were going to hell, and I didn't give a rip. I didn't know their names. I didn't know their children's names. I didn't know anything about them. But as I've gotten older, I've sometimes stood in malls and looked at the people and wanted to cry. That's where you got to go. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your school. But that's where, that's where you got to go, from the mountain to the valley. When my father was dying, and I loved my father because he taught me about love. He was a drunk. And a womanizer and a pool shark. But I've never been loved so totally and completely by anybody. He didn't think you could have a party unless his sons were there. And I told him about Jesus, but he never listened because he didn't think he was good enough. And shortly before his death, his Christian doctor said to him, Mr. Brown, 
you have at most three months to live. And then he said, we're going to pray. And after we pray, I'm going to tell you something that's far more important than what I just told you. They prayed, and that doctor, may God bless him, led my father to Christ because he told him that Jesus died for people like you. I loved what he said. I think that is so cool. We're going to pray, and after we pray, I'm going to tell you something more important than what I just told you. The first part of the sermon has been pretty down, pretty dark, because we live in a down and dark world. But I want I want you to listen up. Nothing new, just a reminder about what to remember in the valley when the time on the mountain is over. When this is over tonight and we've landed this plane and you go back to the world, don't forget the truth. It's an interesting statement in the text. John says, he who thinks this way will purify himself as he, that is Jesus, is pure. I think you know if I were a Pharisee and I'm recovering from that, I'd tell you about the love and what was gonna happen, but I'd beat you over the head with that verse. But I'm not gonna do that because I'm having trouble being pure myself. I can't fix anybody else because I can't fix myself, but I'm better. I don't know whether it's old age or Jesus. I think it's a bit of both, but I really am better. I got a wonderful quote from Martin Luther recently that I had not heard before. Listen to this. Martin Luther said, God does not search for what he loves. He creates it. Oh, man, when I say that, I could almost speak in tongues. And Presbyterians don't do that. God doesn't look around for good people, things and people that he loves. He creates it, and he's creating it in you. Listen to me. You're going to be better. Quit obsessing about it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, you know... You don't have to do anything about it. He's just going to do that, purified. But John was writing to Jews, too. And there's another side of this that I don't want you to miss. In number six, there is the reference to the Nazarite vows. If you really wanted to do something special for God, you took a vow. And at the very heart of the vow was no wine and no strong drink. And why was that? Because your mind would be clear. Those were called, believe it or not, the rites of purification. And so when John was writing this to the people there, the Jews immediately thought of number six. 
They thought of the Nazarite vows, and they thought of being braced and clear as they entered the world. And so you could translate that. Their minds will be clarified as his mind was clear with what? The truth. Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world. Good Lord, I've tried. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. What's that? That's the truth. This isn't just a religious meeting where we got together. Who was it that said one of us, and I've loved every speaker. I have been blessed and taught. Oh, my. But one of the speakers said, this is hard to believe this stuff. It really is. I mean, it's kind of weird. We've been doing it so long, we forget how weird it is. But if it comes over you, and you say, you know, there really is a God. And he's really not what they told me. He's really kind. And he's loving. And he loves me. And I'm forgiven. Listen to me. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've been sleeping with or what you've been drinking or what you've been smoking or the language you've been using. Listen to me. You're forgiven. Forgiven. And that's the truth. It's good when you're in the valley and they turn the lights down to remember that we're right. This stuff is true. And then when you go into the valley by way of reminder, don't forget the love. See what love, John says, God has shown us that we should be called the children of God. Bill Gaither is a friend of mine. I love that brother a lot. I don't even like his kind of music. But every time I watch one of those videos, and I've been on a couple of them, every time I watch those videos on television, I sit there and cry like a baby. And real men don't cry. So if you say I said that, I'll say you lied. At any rate, I was talking to Bill last week, and I said, I told a story of yours to our church when I was preaching there last Sunday. He said, oh, really? And I said, yeah, and I told it better than you did. <laughs> it's a great story. They were in Utah, and they were giving a concert, and the front row was filled with farmers and their wives. And there was one farmer who was an old guy who obviously didn't want to be there. He was sitting there like this. And, uh, and so they sang that song, they're famous for, you, I am loved, I am loved. I can risk loving you. And then we are loved, we are loved. Give me your hand and let's walk together kind of thing. And this guy sat like this. And Bill said, I said, take the hand of the person next to you. And his wife was sitting next to him and he wouldn't touch her. <laughs> and during the intermission, the guys in the concert were back in the back, and they were laughing about that farmer. 
And they never seen anybody that mean. And, and so when they came back, they did the rest of their concert. And then Bill thought he was going to sing that song one more time. And so they started singing, I am loved, I am loved. I can risk loving you. And then he said to his horror, uh, he, well, he said, as we sing this, reach out and hug the person next to you. <laughs> and he looked at Gloria and she went down from the stage to where this old mean farmer was, and she threw her arms around him and just held him. <laughs> and you know what he did? He began to weep. When they turn the lights down and, and the music stops, it's a sad place out there. People know they're unlovely and they need love. When you're in the valley, remember the mountain here. I don't know when I've been loved so much by people because they've been loved by God. You can't love until you've been loved, and then you can only love to the degree to which you have been loved. When it, when it gets dark in the valley, don't, don't forget the love. Don't forget the truth. Don't forget the love when you're in the valley. But when you're in the valley, don't, oh, for God's sake, don't forget the promise. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. I love this. I'm so sick of me. I've tried so hard for so very long. I thought I'd be better than I am. But I've been promised that someday this old cussing and spitting preacher who has trouble fitting in the box and gets hate letters all the time, this old preacher is going to be, Jerry, you'll like me better. He's going to be just like Jesus, he promised. When my brother died, uh, part of me died. He was my best, my kid brother. He was my best friend. I still think about him after all these years, and I miss him. He'd probably be the governor of North Carolina. He was district attorney on the governor's council. And then he died. His friend, another lawyer, his name is Bill Anderson, and I don't know what happened to Bill. But Bill was a graduate of Carolina, and my brother was a graduate of Wake Forest. And every time Carolina and Wake Forest would play ball, uh, my brother and Bill Anderson would get together, and they'd cheer for their respective teams and bet money on who was going to win. And then my brother died on Bill, and he didn't know what to do. So the next time, and for years after that, when Carolina and Wake Forest would play a game, Bill Anderson would put a picture of my brother on the table beside his easy chair. He'd get out two beers, he'd open one, and put it in front of my brother's picture, and then he would take one for himself, and he would cheer for his team. <laughs> That's funny, but there's something so very sad 
about that. The hope of a pagan. The reaching out to something that doesn't have a definition. The, the prayer that there's got to be something more than this. There is. And when you're in the valley... And when you think God is through with you and you think it's over, you can't do this anymore, remember the promise. Someday, you're going to be you. How about that? Me. Just like Jesus. I have a friend who lives in the Seattle area. His name is Steve McCoy, and we've been friends for a lot of years and never have been together but once. We met 35 years ago, and we write each other regularly every week or two. He's written a book, and uh, he's very good with words. And uh, when my brother died, what he wrote was so beautiful. The letter that I got last week from him was sad because his brother Tim had just died, also his closest friend. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you something, Steve, that I wrote for the family. And I want to share, I got his permission. I want to share with you what he wrote about grief. Grief. My unwelcome companion... You have invaded my life, uninvited, unwanted in the shadows. You have waited until this moment to ambush me. Now you have overtaken me with the ferocity of a predator subduing the prey, and, and I am overcome. The hopes... I once held the dreams I once nurtured are now shattered and broken. They lie in pieces at my feet, mingled with the fragments of my life. And I am undone. My wounds are deep. They are beyond repair. My bandages and ointment, dream and gloom now greet me each morning. Desperately, I try to escape your grip, to tear you away from my heart, and nothing helps. There's nowhere to get away. If I shove you aside, try to push you away, you only conceal yourself within me, eventually expressing your displeasure in ugly and destructive ways. So it is. I surrender to you. Come now and sit beside me up close. You will be my companion. We will walk together. I will bathe myself in the tears and let despair purge me. I will wrap arms around you and hold you close. You will become a part of who I am. We, you and I, will become friends. But know this, you are not my master. I will not make my home in despair and hopelessness. 
Together we will journey this path, a path that will once again lead to delight and gladness. I know this to be true because of the one who traveled with you long before you traveled with me. I trust him. I trust the journey will lead to new hopes and to new dreams, just as he promised. You mustn't leave, for in you my memories and pleasures of yesterday reside, and they are very much a part of me. But together, we will press on. The path may be difficult, filled with distress, I will fall to my knees many times, but we will once again arise and move forward ever so slowly to the hope of the promise that lies ahead. Oh, I can do tomorrow because I know the truth. I sometimes forget, but I know the truth. I can do tomorrow because I know I'm loved. In fact, Jesus likes me better than he likes you. I can do tomorrow because he promised and he never lies. And if you listen to what I taught you, you can too. You think about that. Amen. Thank you.